This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tom, what do we got? Yes. Well, today we're going <laughs> to yes. look at, um, yes, today we're going to look at, we're getting back to the history aspect, right? And we're going to look yeah. at um, the rise and then something that we were actually alive for, we were young, we were alive for, and that is the fall of the uh, Berlin Wall. Yep. And uh, David Hasselhoff singing on the Berlin I still remember, yes. like I vividly remember this happening. Well, he takes credit for ending the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Kit like parked by the Berlin Wall somewhere at the bottom there. You know, no, let's not get crazy now. Let's not get crazy now. <laughs> they oh, did have, like a jacket that was uh, lighting up and everything. But they, jacket they, was like, they, lit up. they didn't tear it down when he was on it, though, did they? That was like later on. But he, I know he sung on it. On like he sung on like, like the day it was being like taken down the Berlin Wall. They put a crane up there and they brought him up and he yeah. was singing a song. It's like on top of it, song. yeah. And if you watched if you watch a YouTube video, it's kind of, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But I know if you watch it, he almost gets hit by like a rocket a couple of times. Like they're like fireworks, like like Roman candles. Are you they, they like a bottle almost hits them once too. I think That's people crazy. were just throwing stuff. They were so excited. I don't think they were at him because he was. And to this day, the joke is how you know widely popular and stuff like that he is in germany he was super popular in germany yeah yeah so anyway we are talking about not just about uh david you know david hasselhoff in 1989 singing looking for freedom on the berlin wall but we are talking about what he was standing on which is the berlin wall which really has become like a symbol of the cold war absolutely like the, people, the people think wall. iron curtain they think the berlin wall but like it yeah. was, that's not the same thing however it did come to symbolize that i, I think that's yeah. the closest it got to the Iron Curtain being a real thing. And and by the way, the Iron Curtain was first mentioned in a speech by Winston Churchill. That's a Churchill when, speech, yeah. Yep, when he was in the United States uh, visiting um, Harry S. Truman. Then he said that a, an Iron Curtain has fallen across Europe, basically dividing the you know, the democracy and communist nations of, of Europe, mainly the Soviet bloc and, you know, the Western powers. But the Berlin Wall actually doesn't really go up until like 15 years into the Cold War. Well, well yeah, what basically happens is, right, World War II comes to an end, right? Yep, let's get and it. Yes, yeah, so the Allies have these peace conferences at Yalta and one at uh, Postum. And they're basically, they're going to determine what's going to happen to the territories in Germany. Uh, and they decide it's going to be split into four Allied occupied zones. The Germans can't govern themselves yet. So we're going to split these into four Allied occupied zones, an American zone, a British zone, a French zone, and the um, the Soviet. Soviet Soviet zone, right? So the Eastern part went to the Soviet Union. Like and the Western part all went to the United States. All of it, yeah. yeah. And then, but, and Berlin was totally, this is something people don't always remember. Berlin was totally in the Soviet section, but Berlin is about 100 miles from the border of East and West. Of East and West. The agreement was also they were going to split the city into similar sectors. Yep. So what becomes East Berlin is really kind of like, they call it like a democratic island in a sea of socialism Ooh, right that's yeah. that, that sort of thing so the soviets take the eastern half or the allies took the western half and right away it, it st you start seeing some um issues basically with what's going on because stalin wants all of berlin yes yeah absolutely and the real first time this really comes up the, this four-way occupation quickly changes more or less because 
half of East, half of Germany, like you said, belongs to Soviet Union. The other half to these three other nations, just like the city of Berlin does, which is located in the Eastern Soviet half. But the other three decide that U.S., Britain, and France basically consolidate their half. And into they, one zone, yeah. Yep, to one zone. And at the end of World War II, they decide that it's actually beneficial for West Germany to exist again, for Germany to be unified um, and exist and have its own government, which is something that, um, you know, Stalin was very much against. I mean, and Stalin was afraid of having a, a powerful Germany. So he's like, no, I don't think this is okay. Well, he, so, also was, he, was, yeah, he was afraid of an invasion from the West. So he wanted that kind of East Germany there as like a buffer also. Absolutely. That, that's, that's where the fighting would take place and they'd have to smash through, you know, the, the Soviet troops in East Germany before they ever got into the heart of the Soviet Union. He was still having like, you know, flashbacks to Stalingrad and all the other, you know, what was going on during World War II itself. And he didn't want that happening again. Yep. So he wants to drive them out. And in 1948, the Soviets put up a blockade around Western Berlin, um, basically stop all the roads and they're basically trying to starve the Western allies out of the city. Yeah, they're thinking like, you know what? You already have your West Germany, so let us have our East Germany, and let's kick that little island, that little portion, half of a city, out of East uh, the Eastern Bloc. So, like you said, they it's just known as the Berlin Airlift, essentially. What well, that's it because they they close on the road, so they have to find some way to get supplies in, and becomes known as the Berlin Airlift, and it lasted for more than a year to deliver over two. Uh, 2.3 million tons of food, fuel, other goods to West Berlin, like chocolates, all this other stuff. I remember reading a book called like the candy, candy pilots. chocolate bomber. Isn't dropping, it a chocolate yeah, bomber? Tro- I think it's chocolate bomber. They're just, they're just dropping those, they're dropping candy and stuff like that. He's made, they didn't have that. And not that they don't have it, but it was Western chocolate is pretty different than Soviet chocolate. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trust me. I've had both. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say, yeah, we're, we're talk, we'll talk about your life in the Soviet Union later on. Uh, but um, all right, it wasn't Soviet Union, but it was <laughs> it was the Soviet bloc, yes. And actually, I I did visit um, East Germany as well as West Germany, and I did visit East Berlin and West Berlin when those were actual places uh, in the eighties. Oh. Um, and there was definitely a major distinction. Well, it was a major. Yeah, there was a major, East major. and West, hundred yeah. percent. So. Yeah. As you know, as you mentioned, the Soviet, yeah, I guess get back to I'm sorry, the Soviets call off the blockade in '49, and basically they kind of call Truman kind of calls um, Stalin's bluff because if he shoots down one of the planes, it's it's World War Three. Yep. So that's kind of he kind of like you know, so that, let's see what happens here. So the reason why Stalin is very much against West Berlin, as you said already, Tom. It is kind of like a thorn in his back, right? It's this little tiny island in like surrounded by socialist a socialist essentially nation because in 1949 officially 1949 um the german democratic republic uh, also known as east germany is created by the soviets that's so, i never got why did these like communist countries call themselves democratic i know right i never got that because that's um, what um, north, north korea is like that too they call themselves democratic thing. republic yeah. of north korea it's like same yeah problem. not quite yeah but anyway really. now that we um, said that we're going to get like flagged watch you know see what you did um, however, the German uh, Democratic Republic, also known as uh, GDR or East Germany, is declared on October 7th, 1949. And that's when you have Soviets are kind of backing away from East Germany, uh, letting East Germany kind of govern itself. But this is still like a puppet state. This is a, a, a communist East Germany. And therefore, it's, it's a communist, socialist, non-capitalist nation. 
And right in the center of it is half of a city that is literally beaming with capitalism. We're talking, you know, McDonald's eventually. We're talking sky rises. We're talking American cars. We're talking basically. Well, you're, you're, you're seeing capitalism. You're seeing wealth. In the, the middle side, of poverty. That, that the other side cannot generate. Like that's yeah. that's the biggest thing. A communist society, whatever you want to say about it, a true a side like they were back in the eight back during this time, yeah. the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, or that time frame, it cannot compete with a capitalist society as far as like the goods and the types of goods. And I think that's something that a lot of people just don't understand, especially students when you're trying to explain them, you know, American students, you know, nowadays, you know, with your iPods and your everything else and you know, all the different types of genes and branding. So they, they, those don't exist. Or if they do, it's it's minimal. There's not as many there's not yeah. as much choice. The very at the very least, you're not gonna have the amount of choice. You don't have the same amount of potential that you're gonna have that you have in a capitalist society. That's just how Absolutely. it is by definition by definition. Yeah. And what's happening during this time was it was calm for a while, but he said in fifty eight is when the space race kind of heats up again. The Russians launched Sputnik, that scared that starts a space race. And then a lot of these intellectuals like the um, the doctors, the engineers, teachers, people of that nature are leaving. The young skilled workers are leaving in massive droves, nearly three million of them since the um, start leaving. East Berlin for West Berlin. East Berlin, yeah. And what is, yeah. we have to also mention the fact that in 49, um, when East Germany is officially created, the border is strengthened between East and West Germany. So it's actually impossible now at this point, from this point forward, to escape from East Germany to West Germany. It's nearly impossible because the entire na- national border is basically strengthened and you have military there. There's no way to get through. However, the one last place through which you can escape East Germany is within Berlin. If you simply go from East Berlin to West Berlin. And at this time, you know, we're talking early 50s. You could still get just a regular pass um, from like, a you know, your local magistrate or whatever. And you could go f- to East Berlin or West Berlin uh, freely. Actually, there, it was a subway stop. You could just go. People would work in West Berlin and go back home to East Berlin. And this seemed kind of counterproductive, especially since West Berlin was getting so much wealthier. And as you're bringing this up is this idea that all of a sudden this becomes known as the brain drain. Yeah. The official, yeah. The officials in East Germany are starting to freak out that all of these like really bright young men um, are literally just like getting on and hopping on a little uh, subway, go into West Berlin from East Berlin, and then you never hear from them again. Because from West Berlin, they would take a flight out of Germany or East Germany into like the United States or, or anywhere yeah, else. The United States and, or, or, yeah, and that's it. They're, they're gone. And there was also one thing that kind of um, – historians say that kind of scared the Russians and forced the Russians into this more was they, weren't they doing – they were planning on changing some the, the dollar, right, like the, the yep. currency. That was being that was being um, accepted, and they were only going to start to accept just the um, like the West Berlin note, basically, right? Yep. Not the Russian Berlin note, and that would have pretty much crippled the economy even further. And this was in like June of 1961. Um, you start getting more and more people. I think in the early first 11 days of August, you had 16,000 East Germans cross the border into West Berlin. Then August 12th, you had 2,400, and that was the largest number of effectors in one single day on August 12th, 19. 19- 61. And that just, that was it. So Khrushchev, he's a leader now, right? Khrushchev, he tells the East German government, you now have permission to stop the flow of immigrants um, by closing the border for good. Yep. In just two weeks, the East 
German army, the police force, they had volunteer workers. They completed the beginning of what becomes a Berlin Wall, really just a bunch of barbed wire, concrete, and then the Berlin Wall divided one side of the city from the other. I mean, they divided they things divided. like they divided properties. They div- they went in the middle of a road. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah it's it. it was like one church. Day, there it is. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Um, literally, uh, it, they said that people woke up and the next day there was just construction workers throughout the entire city continuously building this this barbed wire kind of slapped together with concrete thing. It wasn't pretty at first by any means. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is designed to stop the exodus of, of immigrants, you know, from East Germany. That's ultimately all this is about. Um, and so you said this, it starts in, uh, you would you say, June 1961? Um, well, that that was when it had like kind of the freeze of the freaking out. Yeah, August. So August of 1961 is when it starts, and then they basically you now there you can still cross. I guess the most famous crossing is Checkpoint Charlie, but there were other ones: Checkpoint Alpha, Checkpoint Bravo. It winds up being over 12 checkpoints across the wall during different times. And basically, at these checkpoints, there's East German soldiers. They screen diplomats, other officials before they were allowed to enter or leave. I have a couple of pictures and, by Checkpoint Charlie, by the way. Yeah, but basically, cool. Travers from East and West Berlin were rarely ever allowed to cross the border. Crazy. And right. the construction of the wall, it didn't stop the flow of refugees from east to west. Um, and it didn't excuse the crisis either. Um, president Kennedy was definitely not happy about it. He was a president, obviously, in 61. Um, but he conceded that the wall is basically, let's see, I think his quote I saw was, a wall is a hell of a lot better than a war. Yeah. So he it was, was, he was like, right, like, it sucks. But if that's what we have to do, if that's what we have to, you know, we're not going to bomb it. We're not going to blow it up. You know, the people are still going to be crossing. So two years after the Berlin Wall was elected, John F. Kennedy delivered one of his famous speeches of his presidency. And a crowd of about 120,000 people gathered outside the wall. Um, that's basically when he says that famous speech when he says, I am a Berliner. Yeah. But he says it in German, right? I ex- Ich bin um, Berliner. Yeah. And people yeah, think that he says Berliner. jelly donut, but he doesn't. He actually, I think he pretty much says, I am Berliner. But... What's happening here is East German, um, the borders officially closed on August 13th, right? West Berlin was closed. And you have East German troops and workers basically start tearing up the streets that run alongside a border just to make, make them impo- like impassable. Yeah, probably um, putting more barbed wire. Yeah, there. more barbed wire, anything. Just you can't. They're so, fortifying it, yeah. Exactly. And eventually this starts really kind of building itself up to the extent that a lot of people are trying to escape, but... This is where it becomes nearly impossible because if you guys ever, any of you, look up the actual structure of the wall, this is not one wall. This is a complex. Uh, it's definitely two walls. Um, well, it's like a wall, then it's almost like an open area, then it's another wall. Yeah, so but the open area get, is all spikes, ditches. Yeah, spikes, barbed wire, and there's, there's barbed guard wire, towers. Electrical there's wire. a number of 171 people that they know of were killed trying to cross. Yep. They called that it area is- in between, like after the Berlin Wall – um, which you, oh, from the West Berlin side, you just see the famous wall. Like when you guys think of images of Berlin Wall, you see the yeah, graffiti the and all that. Yeah, that's Western West, side. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're, not, side. You're, you're not putting the graffiti on the Eastern no. side. The You'll be so, shot. You'll be shot. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> what, that's the only thing people understood that. Oh, there's a Berlin Wall. No, no, no. That's the, that's the Western side that they're spraying graffiti on. You try you to do that it. from the other side. Not happening. Yeah. And if you really think about it, from 1961 to 1989, you said about 5,000 East Germans. All right. Most, a, lot, a good chunk of those were probably border guards did it, you know, just defected and they left. Yeah. But that's a long period of time. And only 5,000 is not that many people compared to what was happening beforehand. And a lot of them that did um, manage to cross, I guess we'll talk about some individuals later on. They jumped out of windows that were like adjacent to the wall. They I climbed over that. the barbed wire fence. 
some flew in hot air balloons. A lot That's of people. That's the last guy, actually. Last fatality was sewers. You see that the last the last one was March uh, 1989. A young East German attempted to fly over the wall with a hot, uh, hot air balloon, and he crashed into power lines and died. This is the last yeah. one, 1989. And a lot of other ones. They said they would just like drive through unfortified parts of the wall at high speeds and just try to like beat you know before the Soviets could like catch them. Just drive really fast, really it's crazy. Through. I mean, and in the area right by it, um, the Berlin Wall from the Soviet side, it was known as a death strip because it was like 160 yards wide, hundreds of watchtowers, anti-vehicle trenches, guard dog runs, floodlights, tripwire, machine guns, spikes. I mean, from the eastern side, because remember, they're trying to keep the Easterners in. The west was just like a graffiti wall. I have a picture by that wall standing with my dad. You know, when I'm a little kid, um, just kind of chilling by the wall versus on the other side, you, you didn't get near the wall. It was the death strip before. There's no way of getting out. And like you said, people tried in a very, I mean, all kinds of ways to try to do this. Um, I, I mean, from what I saw, I did, I did see that about 5,000, right? Escape by yeah, going. Yeah, and which is, I mean, I guess 5,000, but someone under the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Well, yeah, a lot of people went through the sewers. And there were signs, too, on the other side, they, on the west side, that said, listen, as you're approaching this, you know, you're leaving the American sector. So be careful. Yeah. Like, you know, we can't guarantee your safety if you're going over. I didn't really see too many things of people tr- going from the western side into the eastern side. If they were doing that, they were more going in trying to sneak people people out. Wow. More or less. Um, but there's, you know, there was an 18-year-old uh, bricklayer that was shot and wounded by the time they climbed over the wall. For 50 minutes, he begged for help, and he slowly um, bled to death inside of the soldiers, and also inside of the journalists overlooking the wall on the western checkpoints. And that's that that's, that's when a lot of this stuff started coming back to the United States. This was in um, 62, so it's pretty early on. And they talk about, you know, they didn't even go to help him. They only waited after he died. Then the East German guards went to, like, retrieve his body. And once this gets written up in, like, the American press, you know, they're just, that's it. Like, people are, like, getting really, like, are realizing what, what's actually going on here. You know, I mean, people really, they're just trying to, these people are trying to run for a new life. Like they're trying to yep. get over this wall just for freedom. They, they're, they're not bringing anything with them. Yep. Just you to know? get to the West side. And from West, like I said, from the West, Berlin, that's the, where, that was the gateway to the rest of the world. They could come to the United States if need be. There's one story of the brothers, the Beth, Beth, Bethke brothers, I think. Um, the eldest of the brothers, Ingo, escaped by floating on an inflatable mattress across the Elbe River um, in 1975. And then eight years later, uh, another brother, Holger, Holger um, actually, this is interesting. He shot a steel cable. He fired from like a bow and arrow to a rooftop in West Berlin and then literally like soared over the wall on the steel cable, kind of like, you like, know, Kevin McAllister did. Like um, Batman. Yeah, like literally across. Like that's kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting to try to get across. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
Um, but yeah, so uh, JFK so goes in. Yeah, so the wall's up. Yeah, JFK, he's giving his speech. And that's basically what that's it. Like, it's just people try to get over the wall, and there's this wall in Berlin from 61, basically, until 89, 89 right? Yeah, they start taking it down in 1990, uh, to be more precise. But, um, but yeah, I mean... Well, I think November 9th is when, 89 is when, the basically, the Cold War begins to thaw. Because yep. you have um, the spokesman for the East Berlin's Communist Party announced that basically there's like a change in relation to the West. And starting at midnight that day, he said citizens of the um, West Germany, uh, East Germany, excuse me, were free to cross the country's borders. East and West Berliners, they flock to the wall. They're drinking beer. They're drinking champagne. They're shouting, open the gate. And at midnight, they flooded through the checkpoints. And a lot of people said they simply, I remember, you can you can see all this on TV. Yeah, it's all you. They kind of knew. They kind of knew it was coming. So you type in, you see all these news broadcasts and stuff. That the wall's still there, and that people are. And I mean, even before this, you can watch all these like um, Brokoff, right? Tom Brokoff and mm-hmm. all those other guys are at the wall. I remember showing them to my classes and stuff over the years. And um, it's interesting. Some of it I do remember. Like again, I was seven. Right? You probably remember yeah. differently than me. Because were you still in? Uh, were you still I was Soviet there. Yeah, at this yeah, time? Yeah. yeah were you there. part of like uh, you weren't you weren't an American yet? No, I was not yet an American. No. The reason the Berlin Wall fell is primarily because, and I don't want to say solely because, but I would say importantly enough, because of Poland. And that's because of the Solidarity Movement. And that's Juan David Hasselhoff, yeah. But Solidarity Movement. With the Pope, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. But essentially what's happening, the Soviet Union countries, satellite countries, Solidarity Movement in Poland, and then you have Hungary, and, and all these different nations are starting their kind of like they're going against communism and they're they're have enough and it gets to the point that the soviets can no longer control their satellite nations and that's what you know together with uh which we should really do a podcast on perestroika and you know just yeah. the fall of soviet union you have gorbachev really you know loosening or easing some tensions and this idea of like all right well we can't really hold on to our soviet empire so poland essentially declares free elections and once Poland declares free elections, then the Soviet government doesn't send an army into Poland to stop that like they did to Hungary back in, you know, the 50s, 60s. That was a big thing. They couldn't meet it by force because they didn't have, I'm not going to say they weren't, like, well, global power. But yeah, what, else, what else was going on in the world? Well, yeah, they were basically bankrupt from the war in Afghanistan. Yep. Right? People forget that they were there first, fighting first, you know, in, in the 80s. Go, go watch that excellent Tom Hanks movie that doesn't get enough credit, um, Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. All right. With that. And uh, which leads to a bunch of other things, which, you know, we all know what happens with Afghanistan later on. Um, but yeah, they, they're kind of bankrupt from that. They're, um, and this they shows East that, Germany, though, by the way. Like, East yeah, Germany is like. And they can't compete with the United, with the, with the capitalism anymore. They're kind of nope. bankrupt from trying to keep up spending wise. Their economy just can't generate that type of capital to keep up that yep. spend. A lot of people give Reagan a lot of credit for it. That can be argued, I'm sure, both different yeah. ways. But, um, the idea he's just going to spend them into non-existent with the yeah. new arms race, basically. But what happens here is, so East Germany kind of gets the same idea. Like, you know, like the, all these let's satellite nations are yeah. falling. Yeah, let's see what happens. And this yeah. is, I don't know if you saw this, but this is kind of interesting because the fall of the Berlin Wall kind of happened by mistake. I don't know if you saw this. 
Um, so there's a press conference, evening of November 9th, uh, 1989. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the guy kind of says yeah, it. He didn't, he exactly. So, supposed to. Yeah. I didn't even know if he could. He's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So yeah, sorry. Uh, no. So this East German Politburo member basically prematurely announces that restrictions on travel visas will be lifted. Like they've determined that, you know what? East Berlin, West Berlin, no more restrictions on travel visas. Um, and when he was asked when the new policy would begin, he said immediately without delay. But actually the policy... Would, you know, to be announced was the following day would still have required East Germans to go through this visa application process. He basically like messed up the date. Like this was like, oh yes, there's going to be lifted soon as opposed to immediately. And basically, as soon as he says this, people start flocking to the yeah, wall. People That's start it. flocking to the wall. So it's nighttime, right? It's it's an evening. And you have all of a sudden thousands of people flock to the wall, to the Berlin Wall, East Berliners. And here at this checkpoint, the Bornholmer Street checkpoint, is this uh, one particular chief of officer on duty. His name is Jaeger. And he's facing a mob that is growing to thousands, like thousands upon thousands. They're frustrated. And, you know, he's being screamed at. And so he starts calling his people. And he's just like, wait, what's like, can I let people through this checkpoint? Like, is it, is it okay? And. And his instructors are apparently screaming at him and cursing him out. No, what are you doing? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? And he basically, this is the true story of Jaeger was actually awaiting his cancer results the next day. And he said he was just done. He's like, ah, forget it. So he opens the border crossing on his own without any, you know. And once they start going through, that's it. Boom. That was it. That's it. It's done. Okay, that's so what happens. They start going through. I remember if you again, I'm getting back to what I was saying before. You watch news broadcasts. They're actually there earlier that day before you know before that night, and there's people trying to run across the wall, and they actually get stopped by the guards and they're returned back, but they're not shot. And, they, and they're like, even this is like a big deal. The fact that they didn't shoot this guy, you know, because they and they're asking the, so the guards, what do you think is going to happen? He's like, that's not for us to decide. That's for the politicians to decide. And then they decided it. And so then people start going. And a lot of the people leaving said, listen, we're going we're gonna to go back to our homes in East Berlin. We just want to see what's going on in the West. We want to see, you know, just being able to go back and forth changes everything for us. Obviously, a lot of people, once they start experiencing what's going on there, right, it's going to crazy. It, it, it's going to change things. But a lot of times it was, a, um, yeah, you said uh, people started chipping at the wall later on with like axes and hammers and stuff like that they bring in bulldozers and stuff like that and then the wall starts to slowly they have to actually tear it down yeah no no the um, reunification of east and west is made official on october 3rd 1990 almost a year after the wall itself actually comes down and like i said i do remember this i know i'm not you know it wasn't as big of a deal for me i'm not gonna lie back in you know 1989 as well, you, well you were seven you were playing nintendo i mean yeah exactly yeah i was you know i was enjoying optimus prime but, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, I remember seeing it on TV. I remember hearing about it. I remember, like, my parents talking about it, my aunts and uncles kind of talking about it. So it's one of those events, you know, you're a kid, you see it, you knew it happened, but, you know, you don't really understand it until I got, you know, obviously much older. Yeah. And then we, we started with uh, David Hasselhoff, but let's kind of get back to this for a second. Because a month later, so December 31st, 1989, um, you know, well, David Hasselhoff became the headliner headlining performer yeah. for the freedom tour live concert which was you know this was this this was this became like a pop sensation of when the walls coming down and basically it was attended by over 500,000 people on both sides of the wall and this is a live concert that is directed by a music video director again you can see all this on YouTube um, and it's broadcast 
on basically all over the world throughout Europe and in the United States. And and it, well, during the film, the like shooting, the the personnel pulled up people from both sides, west and east, stay, stand on the wall, celebrate at the top of the wall. And Hasselhoff's like running around with this like glowing jacket, singing his song, like looking for freedom. Um, all while next to him, you can see in the background, there's a, a steel crane that's literally swinging above and like destroying the actual wall. And, and you know, this is, and you, you said something before that was interesting, like the people chipping on the wall and all that stuff. Um, I mean, I'll use your bare hands too. Yeah, and the idea was like, this is something, and I'm pretty sure I have a piece of Berlin Wall somewhere that my dad actually chipped off himself um, years ago. But it talk about, so official demolition of the wall began in the summer of 1990, like the official one, right? Um, more than 40,000 wall sections were recycled into building materials that were used for German reconstruction projects. But a few hundred segments were auctioned off and are basically scattered around the globe. Um, there's some in the Vatican Gardens, which I thought was interesting. But I think the one that really got me was that there's a section of the Berlin Wall in a men's room of the Main Street Station Casino in Las Vegas, and they attach urinals to the wall on the graffiti-covered wall segment. I think that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, it was crazy. I, yeah, I mean, we didn't mention um, – I guess we forgot to mention in 87 – Reagan gives a speech. Well, and also Bruce well, Springsteen in 88. Well, he, was, he was in 88. Yeah, so this was before. So Reagan gives his speech at the anniversary of Berlin itself where he says, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Like that was yeah. kind of like his big thing there. Springsteen actually gives a um, – Concert. Like like a concert. And he's huge in the 80s, right? Bruce Springsteen used to be banned a concert for over 300,000 in East Berlin. That's um, the key right there. Like, he's in East yeah, Berlin. He, He's in East Berlin giving the fact that they allowed this. And he gave it in English. This yeah. is a guy who is – one of his songs is born in the USA. Yeah. And he says, here, look, I'm not here for government or against any government. I'm here to play rock and roll for East Berliners and hope that one day the barriers will be torn down. And later on it does. So I guess Hasselhoff can say what he wants. I'm going to give credit to it to, to the boss from someone else from Jersey. I was going to say, you're just being biased. You don't like David but, Hasselhoff. I, I, I have no problem with David Hasselhoff. I like Knight Rider and – but like David sure. Hasselhoff was, but, was huge. He was huge. He's huge in they, Germany. He's huge. huge. They always make that. They always talk about that, and they make fun of that in like movies and how big David Hasselhoff is. Dodgeball movie. Um, what's other movies like that? Um, you, you name it. He's he's he has he has a lot of records there too. Like he German records and stuff like that. He's a very famous, I guess, pop singer icon there. So seeing him there was a big deal for individuals, without a doubt. Like we mock it kind of David Hasselhoff, whatever. But he it, it was a big deal. He definitely had a role to play. I don't know if they like tore down the wall just so they could hear more of his music. Crazy. But I remember when I was growing that. up in, in Poland, there used to be a German magazine, which is actually still around today. It's called Bravo. And it was all about like music and actors and stuff like that. And I remember specifically him on the Bravo cover. Like he was the celebrity, even for me growing up. I mean, I saw the first time I saw Kit and Knight Rider, it was in German. I mean, I thought it was a German TV show. I had no idea I was American. Struggle's real, man. <laughs> struggle is real. I don't know if it's a <laughs> struggle actually going to describe your childhood. That's a struggle. I remember at one point when we visited Germany when I was younger, on West German side, they had these platforms that were set up for um, just, you know, visitors, I guess, uh, and tourists. And we got to walk up this platform to peek across to the eastern side. Um, you know, you paid like, like whatever. Yeah, you paid like a little one mark or something, and you like 
went to see what East Germany looks like. Mind you, we drove through East Germany. I mean, I 100%. Again, it, it was it was really interesting driving through East Germany when you see like Soviet cars and Fiat's yeah. and whatnot. And then you get to West Germany and you're like, whoa. Same thing. Like the first time I saw a Ford, I, I was under the impression that a car Ford was a German vehicle because you only saw those in West Berlin, um, you know, as a kid. This wasn't something that you would see in, in East Germany at all, which, again, the misconception, but that's the whole point, which is why people are trying to escape because all of the Western amenities, I guess, all the Western things, cultural as well as economic, came through West Berlin. You got anything else? I mean, I, I think this Well, let me talk about – I guess we, this is a little off – well, part of the topic, and we'll get to some fun facts, but like there was a lot of talk about the reunification, right? And they talked about even years after – there's a lot of cultural differences between the East and West um, Germans, just how, how they were um, found that um, there was like a poll in 2004 that found that 25% of West Germans and um, 25% of East Germans wished that the East and West um, should be separate again by the wall. They actually, that's like a 2004 poll. As years go on, that kind of changes, but there was a lot of like just cultural differences as far as like what their values were, how, how they saw the life and stuff like that. You know, they, they, uh, even the people from the East really liked what they saw in the West or like in awe, but a lot of people too, it was kind of too much. Yeah. Like it was like, this is, think about it. If you've didn't experience like capitalist culture and then suddenly it's like, oh, you want a hamburger? What do you want it from? You want one from Wendy's, Burger King, McDonald's, you know, all these different places. You're like, what, what, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like it, that's just like a, a crazy, um, crazy, crazy culture shock. Yeah. So it's not one that's just easily going to just go away. You know, that's just going to like, you're not just going to assimilate both of these people into like the same way. And all the West Germans saw East Germans as like, like almost like backwards for a while. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like you want to live like this? I think to a certain extent they, they were, I mean, they were behind. Like, I mean, trust me, growing up in the Eastern Bloc, I, I was like at least 30 years behind the West. Like, try, like when the first time I saw Star Wars and the first time I saw Jaws was on black. It was in black and white. I had no idea those movies were in color. Yeah. No, I mean that definitely. Wasn't and this is the eighties, Tom. <laughs> like, make that comparison. No, I get, you know? I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It just, it was, a, it was. So different, they were different. It was different for each. It was very different. Yeah. Different. So it wasn't that easy. And like nowadays, there's just like a kind of like a line indicating where the inner part of the wall once stood. Yep. Like they have some of those and stuff like that. Um, I know you said you had a piece of the wall. That's kind of to a fun fact. Apparently, you can buy pieces on eBay. I know my um, history teacher in high school had like a piece on his desk, like a little plaque on it. But then, like uh, experts have said that if you take all the pieces that are being sold on eBay and around the world and you put them all together, it would be like bigger than the, actual, than the wall actually was. That's how hmm. much like you know fake memorabilia there is. <laughs> and it is actually a very large piece um, at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum on Atlantic City Boardwalk. I saw that. Large, I actually have a picture have, of that one as well. Yeah. They have like a very large section of it there. Obviously, hmm. museums all around the world, but um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it's a it's iconic. You know, when you think about communism, you think about the fall of communism in Eastern Europe too. It is a, a major thing because as the Berlin Wall falls, so does so does basically Soviet Union. Eventually, about a year later, they, they disband. By the way, um, so Checkpoint Charlie, you know, it's definitely the most famous out of all of them. Um, and today, when you go there, by the way, I was there maybe like seven, eight years ago, um, standing by Checkpoint Charlie, and you you could take a picture with you know actors dressed as basically like the the guards, the Soviet and the American. That's guards. weird. Yeah, that's, that's. I mean, I guess it's not. It's not any different in New York City. You go around. Yeah, that's, it literally it seems very much it's, Checkpoint it's Charlie. Like, it's like I feel like I was like on Broadway. 
Like, but people died there. Like, literally, you know, like, taking literally. pictures. Um, but the reason also why it became so popular because there was a huge standoff there. I don't know if you remember this. In the nineteen sixty one. Yeah, sixty one, right? There's a tank standoff between Soviets and yeah. US forces. And it starts with this US diplomat, um, Leitner, I think. He's trying to travel to East Germany. He's stopped at the border and he refuses to show his papers to the East German border guard. And he says that as a you know, as a US citizen based on US policy, he only had to show them to Soviets, not to East Germans. And basically this argument escalated to the point that um, the Allies of the US sends ten tanks to Checkpoint Charlie. Um, they're sent there by President Kennedy. And then the Soviets send their own ten tanks. Um, so now you have these tanks that are literally. Yeah, it's, all, it's over like an opera, right? I think it's over yeah. like he was going to go on an opera. It, it was like for, you know, like sixteen hours. You had these like you know ready loaded tanks that were just about to start shooting one another, and they they wound up not. But yeah, um, if one side shoots, it's World War Three. That's how it starts. Yeah, like there's crazy. a lot of times that almost happened. Yeah, that was October of sixty one. They said it was like basically the nuclear age equivalent of the OK Corral. <laughs> With tanks, with tanks, with tanks, and massive, uh, you know, consequences yeah. if things don't go over very well. I mean, it's kind of hard to say what other fun facts there are about a Berlin Wall. Fun facts, yeah. I wouldn't say I, you know, interesting facts. Like we said, that there's a, there's a bunch, like we, but I think we also think covered we most yeah. of them just talking yeah. about it. This is one of those things that um, whenever I went over it in class, and I kind of wish I still taught it, but like, kids are fascinated by. Like they really yeah. are because they're like, wait, whenever we get to like the whole, like th- that whole thing, they're like fascinated by it. like how this, it wasn't that long ago. Like, I guess it was, but also it wasn't. Yeah. Like, so, well, each that, year it gets it, longer and longer as we teach. Yes, but stuff. like, but, but, but it was recorded. Like this is an event yeah. in history that was totally recorded. It's not just, it's not newsreel, right? It's not just yeah. pictures. It's not paintings. It's you, you can see, you can actually watch it as it happened. Like they were broadcasting on ABC news and, you know, every, every news channel was talking about it. You know, they have these papers, you have interviews. A lot of the people who were there might've been teenagers at the time or young kids like we were, you know, they lived through it in some way. They're, they're alive now. They're talking about it. So it's, it's yeah, that history of it is still very much alive. And you have these firsthand accounts that you don't have a lot of other things you talk about. You know, we're talking about the revolutionary war. You don't have that. You talk about even world war two, you have less and less. Right. Yeah. But like, and this is one of those events that you do have that, primary source that firsthand experience and it's just interesting to, to get it from like you were there you have the firsthand experience you're going to be telling your kids you're going to be telling your grandkids my kids learn about it i'm going to say hopefully they'll listen <laughs> you know talk about what i remember from it you know just one of those events and then they do listen i think it's it's something that they that they find interesting because it's 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 in like you said before it's in color they can see it they can hear it it's 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 a lot more real you can actually get a piece of it you know and show it to them yeah. You know, if you really wanted to, you can take them to a museum and you can see a piece of it. And that, that's, that's making history real, which I think like really helps. Yeah. Um, actually today I was watching, uh, right before we started recording, I got my 13 year old to start watching Band of Brothers with me. And so far he's, we're in the first episode, but he's like, this is pretty cool, dad. I'm like, yep. Based on real events. Loved it. Loved Band of Brothers. But one last thing I kind of want to come back to real quick as a fun, and I, this might be our last fun or interesting thing here. Because uh, we did touch upon this death strip between the, the eastern side of the wall. But if you really look into it, and there's a YouTube video that actually explains the whole thing that I showed to my students. This really was aptly named a death strip. And because it was pretty scary, you know, on the eastern German uh, side, right? If you try to escape, you had this like 150, 60 meter stretch called a death strip, obviously. 
And it was basically put in place to stop any potential crossings. But it had floodlights, um, anti-tank barricades, a signal fence that activated an alarm the second you touched it, beds of nails throughout the field that were actually like buried in sand. So you didn't even see the nails. This was known as Stalin's lawn. That's what they used to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, buried mines, electrified fencing, and then a row of freshly raked sand was added. So you would see any footprints whatsoever. And then you have armed guards and towers that had orders to shoot any defector on site. So literally, if this was a death strip, like you could not get out across the Berlin Wall. So that's that's my last interesting fact, I guess. But anyway, I think that's pretty much that pretty much covers the Berlin Wall, Tom. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's part of pop culture. Statues is video games based on the Berlin Wall or have parts of it. Like Call of Duty Black Ops has it. There's Sim City has ones. You know, there's all these different games. You know, where it's 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 an iconic thing. It's part of 20, 21st century, you know, history. Nuts, nuts, the nuts. world, the world we know today doesn't exist without the Berlin Wall coming down. Yep, that says it, it's a different place. That if is it's true. still up today, the world is very different than what it is right now. That is true. All right, so to everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in once more to our podcast. We really do appreciate your continued support. And if you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. And please, whenever you listen to this, please, uh, you know, don't forget to subscribe and leave us uh, a review. Why not? You know, we we do enjoy those. So having said that, I will see everybody next week and uh, have a great week, guys. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.